Happy New Year, City Light. Okay. Uh, it is New Year's, January, the first Sunday in January. And one of the things I always like to do to start off the new year is to kind of look forward at what God might do. What's coming down the line? What am I excited about? And this year, in 2019, one thing I'm most excited about is coming up right away. City Light Kansas City goes public. They do their public launch on February 10th. That's like a month and a few days from today, right now. So I get excited. Their core team is growing. I don't know if you know this. We sent five people to Kansas City, and now more than 60 people have met weekly down there to worship Jesus. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm going to give Chuck's announcement away because I get the mic first, and I can do what I want, right? Uh, our, uh, our end of year giving campaign, our fundraising effort uh, that we called CB to KC, we wanted to raise $29,500 to send to Kansas City. Uh, last week, I thought that's going to be impossible because we had $6,000 to go just to meet our own budget and then $29,500 on top of that. We had a few days to raise almost $36,000. I thought impossible, no way. But you know what? We hit both goals. We covered our own budget and the goal for Kansas City. You did it. God did it. We did it. And I want to tell you, we honestly had no backup plan. It's not like there was extra money that if we didn't make it, we'd pitch that in so we could have a win. It's just like, it, you guys did it. God did it through you. And so that means in total, we from our church here are sending $50,000 to invest in gospel transformation in real people in Kansas City. A new church in a new place for the glory of God, right? That's happening. They go live February 10th. And I get excited about that stuff. Around here, we love to celebrate those wins. We turn the joy level up to 11, and we do that on purpose. We do it because the Bible says things like, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if that's true, we want a lot of joy of the Lord, right? When the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit, the list begins with love and joy. So we believe that if we're people who have the Spirit of the living God in us, we should be filled up with love and joy. We just believe that joy in Christ matters. Are you with me? So we hope the experience here at City Light Church is one where you know joy in Christ. You have joy in Christ and you find your greatest joy in Christ. That's what we want. It's what we desire. And so I hope that's been your experience. But this morning, we're preaching Habakkuk. Okay? And... As we read Habakkuk, as we preach Habakkuk, we just have to reckon with the reality that joy does not always come easily. You follow? Sometimes joy feels impossibly difficult to find. That has been the story of our church family since the very beginning. As I was preparing for the sermon, I was reflecting back on the very first city group that started back in 2010, before City Light was even on the map, uh, we got together. There were just a bunch of strangers that got together to eat in a living room and hang out. We hardly knew each other, but here's what I remember was going on in that early season. There were three young 
couples struggling with infertility. They wanted to get pregnant, but they couldn't, and it was a struggle. Miscarriages had happened. Hopes had been dashed. I remember crying, praying, and longing that families would grow, but month after month, nobody got good news. And we looked around at the world, and we saw, it seems like so many other people get pregnant so easily. Why is it such a struggle for them? It didn't seem fair. There was another guy who had been without work, unemployed, for an entire year. He searched for jobs, submitted applications, went through the interview process, just didn't get hired. And you know the unemployment struggle. It brings up financial issues and marriage issues and identity issues. It was, the struggle was real. He wanted to work, but nobody would give him work. It didn't seem fair. There was another family who had just brought home boys that they had adopted. And those boys uh, started life in an orphanage. And so they had adjustments to make that most of us could never understand. They found adoption to be an incredible, beautiful blessing and an incredible challenge. There were good days and hard days, hard nights for the boys and the family. Some people helped, other people hurt. But those boys started life in a situation most of us couldn't imagine, and it just didn't seem fair. There's another couple whose son was going through chemo treatments. He wasn't even in high school yet, and he was fighting for his life, and we all wondered, why should somebody so young have to fight like that? It's not fair. It's not right. There's another family who was a couple who was having marriage struggles. He was an introvert that liked to stay home and read a lot. She was an extrovert that always wanted to go out and experience what the world had to offer. And loving each other was a daily struggle for them. Every day, each one felt hurt by the other. And they said marriage was supposed to be this experience of companionship and love, but all ours is is pain. Why did ours turn out this way and other people get good marriages? It's not fair. There's another person who's had a sibling dealing with a a severe drug addiction. They would come and they would give updates and we would pray and we would wonder, how can we help? But there was just no way to help. Wondered why did they get that struggle? Why did they fall into it? Why is its grip so hard on them? It's just not fair. As I look back and reflected, infertility, miscarriage, unemployment, financial issues, family issues, marriage issues, sickness, body issues, addiction, they're just the struggles I remember. I know there were more. As I look out at our city groups today and our church family and our community at large, you know what I see? Those struggles persist. They're all still here and more. And if we reckon with that reality, if we just peel back the rose-colored glasses for a minute and see life for what it is, it leaves us with honest questions. Sometimes life isn't fair. Sometimes the struggle is real and we ask questions. Joy, why are they? If the fruit of your spirit starts with love and joy, why are they so hard to find? God, if you're good, how do we deal when life is bad? What does it look like to hold on to faith 
when life's not fair. Man, friends, I have to confess that there are no easy answers to those questions. This morning, I don't have a three-point outline, and every point starts with the same letter, and you just follow that process and walk out these doors to an easy life. I wish I did, but that's not what we get. Instead of offering easy answers, we want to spend the next few weeks looking together at the book of Habakkuk. In it, a man named Habakkuk asks the same kinds of questions we do. His struggle is real. His faith is put through the fire. He wonders what God is doing, where he is. He wrestles with those questions for God. And I think this little book in the Old Testament speaks right into the world most of us are very familiar with. It's a battle for faith when life's not fair. Um, I want to give you a, a warning before we jump into the book of Habakkuk. Uh, Habakkuk, the Habakkuk story is not a Hallmark story, okay? Track with me on this. My wife watches a show on the Hallmark channel called When Calls the Heart, and this uh, sweet city girl teacher moves to a remote mining village in Canada, takes over the one-room school, falls in love with the Mountie named Jack, red jacket, gold buttons and all, right? And several seasons into this show, the actor who plays Jack left. He quit, and the writers killed off his character. And the Hallmark audience was furious. They lit up the Facebook page and the Twitter feed and they said, we don't watch Hallmark for drama, we watch Hallmark for happy endings. They were upset because they expect their shows to end happy. On the Hallmark channel, every problem gets solved. Every lonely person finds love. Every struggling family business finds a way to turn things around, right? Every sick person gets well. Every ending is happy. And they were furious when their show didn't end that way. I want to tell you guys today, Habakkuk isn't Hallmark. His story is not a Hallmark story. Things don't get tied up in a bow, and the good news does not make everything better. Habakkuk's story is a real-life story of wondering and wrestling, of questioning and quivering, of, of suffering and struggling. Habakkuk's story isn't Hallmark. It's a story of faith when life's not fair. You feel adequately warned. That is where we're going, okay? Different kind of sermon than we usually do here at City Light. Not positive, encouraging K-Love coming at you today. Uh, with that in mind, I want to introduce you to Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a prophet of God around 620 BC. Now, in those days, the nation of Israel or the kingdom of Israel, God's people had divided in two. Israel was in the north and Judah was in the south. And in Habakkuk's days, Israel in the north had been conquered. It no longer existed, only Judah remained. Habakkuk was God's prophet in those times. And because he was a prophet, he knew God's promises. He knew that God had promised Abraham that one day all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him, through his descendants, through his people, the nation that would come from him. 
And Habakkuk knew that God had promised David one day a king would come and sit on his throne and reign forever, never to get conquered. And so Habakkuk knew God's promise to his people was one day there would be a forever king who would never get conquered and every other nation would look to God's people for blessing. But Habakkuk looked around at the world that he saw and he had to reckon with reality. God, not only do your promises seem far off, it seems like the opposite is happening. Israel's kings got conquered. They don't exist. And Judah is insignificant on the world stage. Nobody is looking to us for anything. The promises of God seem distant, and the God who made them seem disengaged. And so Habakkuk did what any good Old Testament prophet would do. He talked to God. In this little book, nearly every word from Habakkuk is aimed at God. In fact, in the first two chapters, every word of Habakkuk is either a question or an explanation of his question. He is wrestling and he is wondering. He is struggling and his people are suffering. So he gathers up his questions and he takes aim at his God. And this is what it sounds like. Oh, Lord. How long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? His questions are real and deep and painful. This morning I would ask you, have you ever asked those kinds of God, how long do I have to cry until you'll see me? How long do I have to endure until you will save me from this? God, I can see my problems and my pain so clearly. You must be able to see them too. Why don't you do something? God, will my body ever work right again? Will my kids ever speak to me again? Will I ever find that person to marry? Will my bank account ever end in the black? God, will you ever respond to my prayers? Are you even listening? Habakkuk asked. And my guess is that makes some of us uncomfortable. You with me? Is it okay to ask questions like that? Won't that make God mad? Can we do that kind of thing? See, like, let Habakkuk encourage you this morning. It's okay to ask your questions. Asking God is not the same as rejecting God. And I don't want you to take my word for it. We see people ask questions like this. They're hard questions. We see them ask these questions in the Bible all the time. Let me give you some examples. David asked, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Jeremiah, why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Job, why do those who know God never see his days? Even Jesus, as he hung on the cross, my God, my God, why 
have you forsaken me? Those questions aren't faithless. They're acts of faith. They're not rejecting God. They're searching for God, inviting him to answer. And so I want to begin today by saying, faith when life's not fair looks like asking. Faith when life's not fair looks like asking. Friends, if you've got hard questions for God, ask them. Because if you don't, I think one of two things will happen. Either you will grow distant from God or you will give up on him. Let me say that again. Faith when life's not fair looks like asking. So if you have hard questions for God, would you ask them? Because if you don't, one of two things is going to happen. You will either grow distant from God or you will give up on him. Not asking our questions uh, makes some of us grow distant from God. I think it looks like this or sounds like this. I can't ask God my questions because that'll make him mad or maybe it'll make the problem worse or maybe it'll mean that I don't have real faith. And so I better just bury these questions. And you say that stuff and you think you're doing the right thing and then you justify it in your mind saying things like, well, I'm probably just making too big a deal out of this. God's got bigger fish to fry. He's not going to worry about my little problems. And eventually, if you let that rattle around in your head long enough, those thoughts go from, God's probably not going to care about my little problems. That turns into, God doesn't care about my problems, and he doesn't care about me. You see, what starts as not asking burying your questions, growing quiet toward God, eventually grows up into growing distant from God. Surely he doesn't care about me. And so friends, if that's you, if you've been there, you are there, I want to say to you clearly this morning, you're believing something the Bible doesn't say. The Bible never says don't ask. The Bible never says God doesn't care. God can take it. Friends, if you've got hard questions for God, let them drive you to him, not away from him. Faith, when life's not fair, looks like asking. When we don't ask, sometimes it drives some of us uh, away from God. We grow distant to him. But for other people, not asking causes us to give up on God. We give up on God when we don't let him answer our questions because we've already answered for him. We give up on God when we don't let him answer our questions because we've already answered for him. I think that usually sounds something like this. God, if you are good and you are real, then there's no way I should have to go through what I'm going through. So either you must not be real Or you must not be good. In either case, you're not a God that I want to follow. You ever heard that kind of logic? Walk down that kind of a path? You see what happens there? The heart of the question is, God, I've heard that you're real and you're good. Whether it's from the Bible or that preacher at church or my grandma who followed you. I've heard that you're real and you're good. But if that's true, why are things like this? Why is life so hard? Why do I hurt so bad? Where are you? 
The heart is a question. But instead of letting God answer for himself, we answer for him. Say things like, God, I can't fathom how you could answer those questions to my satisfaction. So I'll just answer them myself. You must not be real or you must not be good. And we give up. If that's you, I want to say it again. The Bible never says don't ask. God can handle hard questions. Would you ask him? City Light, our questions should drive us to God, not away from him. It's okay to wonder. It's okay to wrestle. It's okay to ask. Habakkuk shows us having faith when life's not fair looks like asking. You with me? Uh, I think Habakkuk has more to show us about faith here in chapter one. Uh, Habakkuk asked his questions and eventually God answered. You saw it when Chuck read the Lord's answer. Habakkuk had questions. Eventually God answered. We don't know how long it took. Uh, it could have been immediate or it could have been a long time. The Habakkuk's words kind of indicate it was a long time. It was a long struggle. He said, oh Lord, how long shall I cry to you? It reminds me of my kids in the back seat when we're on a long trip. Dad, how much longer? It's torture, right? How long? You get the idea. He'd been asking for a long, long time, but the Bible doesn't tell us. All the Bible says is that Habakkuk asked and God answered. So like Habakkuk, we may have to wait for and search for God's answers when we ask, but we ask anyway. Habakkuk asked and God answered. Let's look at God's answer together. Remember, Habakkuk's not hallmark, okay? The answer is hard. Habakkuk asked, how long until you save? Why are you idle instead of moving? God answered, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe even if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Habakkuk asked and God answered, I'm not idle, Habakkuk. I'm doing a work. I'm just doing something that you're not going to believe. I'm raising up your enemies. I'm doing it. And for Habakkuk, man, that was hard to believe. The Chaldeans, really, they were Judah's greatest threat. They were a fierce and merciless people. God called them violent, devouring, and guilty. They were building their empire by conquering nation after nation. If there was anybody that could stand in the way of God's promises and God's people, it looked like those guys. And Habakkuk looked out at the world and he saw what they were doing and said, we're in the crosshairs. God, they're coming for us. How long until you save? How long until you hear my cries? When will you step in? When will you move and stop this? When will you keep your promises? Habakkuk asked, and God answered. Habakkuk, I am moving. I'm not idle. I'm just doing something you wouldn't believe. And that's the end of God's answer. That's all you get. I'm raising up your enemies. I'll remind you how bad they are. The end. Habakkuk isn't a hallmark story.
right? Um, but I think Habakkuk is a real life story. Have you ever experienced that? Sometimes things just get worse. The cancer comes back, the sobriety ends in a relapse, the uh, second marriage ends just like the first one did. Sometimes things go from bad to worse and it feels like the end. And I think Habakkuk has something to teach us about how to get through those moments when we've asked, God's answered, and things don't get any better. And I think the key is in Habakkuk's name. The root uh, word in Hebrew of Habakkuk's name is a word, Habak. It's like a guttural H, like you're hawking up a loogie. It's my favorite sound in Hebrew, right? Habak. Try and say it. It's fun. Habak, right? All right, have, have fun saying it in the car on the way home. Uh, the root word of Habakkuk's name is Habak, and it means to embrace. Think to hug, to hold, to wrap your arms around. And the Bible gives us a bigger picture, a deeper understanding of this root of Habakkuk's name when we look at how it's used in other places in the Bible. And so we're going to go there. I'm going to show you two. And as we do, I want you to think about the question, how does Habakkuk Habak when life's not fair? What does it look like to embrace faith when life's not fair? I want to go two places. First... We'll look at Proverbs. This is Proverbs 6.10. It says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little habak. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Habak is folding your hands. It's not putting them to work, doing something else. It's not using them to do your best, to fix your problems on your own. Habak is folding your hands in idleness or rest. Friends, I think sometimes we're just like Habakkuk. We look at the world around us and we can't see God in it. Things have gotten so bad. Life seems so unfair. We've tried so hard to do everything we can to make it right on our own and it's so overwhelming that we just can't see God in it. And because we can't see God in it, we begin to wonder, is he in it at all? Those moments, Habak. We fold our hands. Habak is intentionally clasping your hands. We fold our hands by force if we must so that we can focus on looking for God, on finding him. It's an intentional redirecting your effort from your hands to your heart so that you can search for God. Here's what it looks like for me. Uh, I remember when my wife Sarah was pregnant with our first baby. Uh, we lived in Vermilion, South Dakota, and Sarah worked 45 minutes away in South Sioux City, Nebraska. We were so excited. Our first baby was on the way. We'd made the announcements. We were gathering the things that we would need for the baby's new bedroom. It was just a season, an atmosphere of excitement. But that excitement shattered one morning when Sarah made a call to me and said, Eric, I've lost a lot of blood. The doctor says 
I need to get to Vermilion right away. I'm headed to my car. Would you pray? And my first response was panic. What do I do? What can I do? Do I need to go to the doctor and check in early so they're ready when she gets here? Do I just need to keep working so my mind is occupied and doesn't go places that it shouldn't? We've got friends in med school who want to be OBs. Could I call them and get their thoughts? What should I do? What can I do? Surely I need to do something. I was fearing for my baby's life and my bride's health. I wanted to do something, but there was nothing I could do. For 45 minutes, I couldn't even see her. Do you know what that's like? To feel the pressure, do something, put your hands to work, make something happen, and then reality looks at you and says, this is out of your hands. In those moments, faith looks like Habak. You fold them so you can find God. For me... It looked like 20 minutes of panicked, erratic activity before I finally hit my knees, clasped my hands on the floor in the middle of the bank where I worked and cried uncontrollable tears, asking God, would you show up because I can't see you at all? That's Habak. Fold your hands so you can find God. It's faith when life's not fair. I think there's one other place we see Habak that I think is helpful. It's in the book of Job. Uh, this is what it says, Job 24. They are wet with the rain of the mountains and cling and Habak to the rock for lack of shelter. The picture here is climbers on the side of a mountain, and don't think like little dirt mountains like the bluffs. This is a rocky mountain, okay? It's big. They're climbing up, and as they're climbing, the storm comes in. Rain starts sprinkling. It turns into a pouring rain, and they don't know what to do. It's impacting the climb. The rock is slippery and wet. Their fingers are slippery and wet. Their shoes and socks are soaked. Every grip is more treacherous. The journey that was already dangerous has only gotten worse. And so they look around. Is there any cave? Is there an outcropping or an overhang? Any place we can find some shelter from this storm, from these dangers around us. And they look all over. Over and find nothing. So what do the climbers do? They cling to the rock. They habak. There is no other place to go. There's nothing else to do. No more climbing. No more progress up the mountain. The journey stops and they cling, holding on for dear life because their lives are at stake. What does faith look like when the storms of life rage around us and our hearts won't believe? God told Habakkuk, I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. What does faith look like when our hearts won't believe? It's Habakkuk. You cling. Uh, it's dangerous being this stuff in your life. Because when you're preaching, God tends to do this stuff in your life. And so on Friday, um, I felt like I had to cling. Habak. I found out on Friday evening that a high school friend of mine died in a car accident. 
Her name is Cassie. She's 31 years old. She leaves behind her a husband and two young children in early elementary school. Car accident that morning, died, pronounced dead at the scene. My mom texted me to let me know what had happened, and as soon as I found out, my heart broke. It broke for Cassie, my friend, who's going to miss out on so much life with her husband, with her boys. There's so much she will never get to see. It broke for her husband, who's got to raise their two boys without her. And I think, I don't know how I would do that. I don't know if I could do that. And it broke for those two boys who will go through life without the sweet, sacrificial love of their mom to care for them. It broke for my mom, who told me, because my mom was 14 when her mom died. And so whenever uh, somebody loses a mother, my mom feels it all over again. She can connect and relate. And so she texted me, my guess is, because she's too emotional to call me. And so my heart broke for so many people. And when those storms start raging, the questions start coming, and you wonder, why, God? Why her? She was so young. Why those boys? They need her so much. How will her husband move on? How do you take the next step after a loss like that? The rock seems pretty slippery. God, I don't know what to do. How do you move forward? For me, clinging feels like numbness. Just found the tears to cry. I don't know how to move forward. The sorrow just hangs. Have you ever been there? Life's not fair. What do you do? Cling. For me, I've been clinging to the people that God has put in my life who will listen. It looks like friends who, after date night, stayed up late when their kids were crabby to hear my story and pray for me. I cling to promises in the Bible from Jesus himself when he said things like, I will be with you always. I cling to Jesus himself, my rock, and pray, Jesus, I don't know what that will look like, but I know you're the only one who can do it. What does faith look like when the storm rages? And the rocks are slippery and the questions swirl and you can't find relief and you can't make any progress? Looks like clinging. Hop back. Friends, on to the rock. Stop and cling. Friends, Habakkuk is not Hallmark. There is no happy ending to this one. Chapters two and three get a little better, but Judah gets conquered. What Habakkuk sees coming comes. Habakkuk is not Hallmark. He doesn't give us a solution but he does give us a picture, a picture of a faith that endures, a faith that perseveres, a picture of faith when life's not fair. What does it look like? We ask and we hug back. We fold and we cling. Will you pray with me? Oh, God. And I just know we love to turn the joy up around here. We love to have joy and know joy and find our joy in you. But if we're honest, it's just not always there. 
And God, this has been a hard uh, couple weeks for me preparing for this. So I've just felt myself entering into the part of life that we hope never comes, that we want to get out of, the part of life when things just aren't fair. The suffering, the struggling, the wrestling and wondering and quivering and questioning. God, it's good news that in the midst of all of that, we can ask and you don't turn away from us. We can ask and you will answer. You did for Habakkuk and you do for us. It's good news that when our hands can't make things right, we can fold them and rest knowing that your hands are still in it. Even if the news isn't good, your hands are at work. God, it's good news that when we can't move forward anymore, when it seems like the world around us is slippery, we've got a rock to cling to. God, I pray for the people that are here today that are in the season of life when things just aren't fair. The struggles, the infertility, the marriage issues, family issues, addiction issues, financial issues. God, I don't know what it is. I pray for them. God, would you be near to us like you were to Habakkuk? When he cried out, you answered. God, as we cry out, would you answer? How long, oh Lord, would you answer now? God, would you prove yourself to be the rock we can cling to? Would you call us to you over and over again? Don't let us grow distant. Don't let us give up. God, be near to us now. We need you. We love you. We thank you that you were near to Habakkuk and that the same God that you were then is the God that you are now. God, we love you. We pray this in your name.